Well, let me start my sermon today by asking you a question. Um, have you ever felt like something was off? Yeah? Just that feeling in your gut that something wasn't quite right. I remember years ago, uh, this is before Beck and I were married, and I used to have to drive a little over an hour to visit her. And she lived on the southwest side of Chicago. I lived on the north side. Sort of a, sort of a rivals coming together, I guess you could think of it that way. But um, when I was driving home from her place, I was often driving home late at night, and I'd stop to get gas. And so uh, I remember one time I thought I'd be a responsible car owner and check the oil in my car. So I did that. And I thought, you know, maybe I should top it off. Well, I topped it off just a little bit. And then I got in the car and I started, I drove the hour home, the 60 plus miles. And somewhere along the way, I just thought to myself, hmm, I wonder what would ever happen if I, if I or someone just forgot to put the oil cap back on the engine and just took off, you know? I wonder what would happen. Eh, I don't know. So when I pulled off of the interstate, I noticed this glistening color on the hood of my car, and I'd slow down enough to hear this clanking that was happening. And lo and behold, I had left the oil cap <laughs> off of the engine block of my car and ruined my car. So have you ever felt this way about life? You know, and listen to me, not that everything is bad or evil, not that everybody's bad, the world's bad, but just that something was off. Something wasn't the way it was supposed to be. For some of you, I think the response is sort of an immediate, heck yeah, you know, because of where you grew up, maybe the experiences you had growing up, maybe the family you were born into, maybe it wasn't easy. Maybe you knew from a very early age that something was off. Maybe some of you are here today and actually... Uh, that wasn't your experience as a, as, as a young child, but ac- you actually have done everything right. You did well in school. You got the degrees you're supposed to get. You got the job that you're supposed to get, and maybe even some of the promotions. But for some reason, your experience of life isn't what you hoped it would be, even though you've done everything right. Some of you, you look around at a good world. But you see some very terrible things happening. And for the first time in your life, you're feeling like, I need to protest. I need to resist. Something's off here. I can't just let it go. And wherever you are this morning, I want you to know that the biblical story is right in line with what you're experiencing. And not only is it a story that embraces this feeling that you're having maybe even right now, but the resurrection of Jesus speaks directly to it. Uh, It says of the resurrection of Jesus uh, in the Bible that it says this, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. In another place, it refers to Jesus as this. It says, God's plan was to bring Unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Or some translations say, bring all things together or sum up everything in Jesus. What does it mean to be a first fruit or the summation of all things? Well, there's actually a background to this in this type of talk in the Bible. There's a background story, a story that goes back to the very beginning of creation, a picture in the Bible of God and humanity living in perfect and deep connection. And then the strangest, most tragic thing happens. 
humanity decides that we would do better on our own. That maybe God really isn't out for our best. And so we reject that relationship in favor of a self-focused self-confidence. What was the result? Well, what happens well, what happens when you cut something off from its root, from its source? It starts to decay. And you might expect that that would happen sort of in this relationship between humanity and the creator. And I think humanity might have even expected that. But what we didn't expect was that it would affect every area of our lives. It would affect the cosmos around us, our relationships with other people. And as the story goes, this loss of connection began to affect every area of life. And the chief sign of this, the symbol of all of this, if you read the story, is death. Death enters into the experience of creation and humanity. And it spreads decay into every nook and cranny of a very, very, very good world. The world is still good. People are still made in God's image. He says they're very good. But things are now off, and humanity couldn't put them back together. So God would. That's the story. Maybe you've heard it before. He would join the human race, becoming human, and through his own death, defeat death. And through his resurrection, release new life into the world to bring everything back together. So when Jesus is mentioned as the first fruits, that's what the author is talking about. He's talking about Jesus being the first sign that things are being put together back together again. The first sign of this cosmic tear being sewn or knitted back into relationship and wholeness. And when it speaks of Jesus as the summation or the unifier of all things, his resurrection began the process of putting everything that's been decaying, that feels off, back together again. And there's a word for this. The word is salvation. Have you heard that word before? And because this is Easter Sunday, and because what salvation is is so often misunderstood, we're going to look today at what salvation really is. Hopeful that we can experience a real taste of it this morning. Does that sound interesting? All right. So let me read a verse to you. This is from Titus. A guy named Paul, he was one of the first and early church founders, wrote this letter And it was meant to encourage the church, and we still have it today. He writes, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we'd done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Lord, And Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So, in this passage, what are the people that Paul is writing to? What are they saved from? And I ask this question because a lot of you have been told that salvation is about what happens to you when you die. 
Now, I'm not saying there aren't any implications for the afterlife. That would be another sermon and probably another passage to preach from. But what I'm saying is that there's actually no mention of when you die in this passage. Let's read verse 3 again. It says, When you die, you are going to hell. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior... Wait. Is that, is that what was projected behind me? Oh, let me try verse 3 again. Um, at one time... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So this is what Paul says the people that he's writing to have been saved from. They're saved from a terrible, awful experience of life now. Something was off, and it was killing them in the present in the here and the now, this life. You see, being lost is not a matter of where you're going, it's a matter of where you are. Think about it. Let's get super, super, super simple. Being lost is not a matter of where you're going, it's a matter of where you are. You ever been lost in a mall? I mean, let's get simple. Let's take the cosmos out of it for a second and the ripping of the cosmos in half and Jesus knitting it back together. All that, I love it. But let's get simple. Have you ever been lost in a mall? Okay. What is the first thing you have to do? So I heard it. You find the map. You look for the handy-dandy red upside-down teardrop that points to a place on the map and says, you are here. Why? Because you're lost, and let's face it, it doesn't matter how much you want to get to Cinnabon. (laughs) You're not going to find your way to Cinnabon until you find out where you are first. Because you don't know which way to turn. That's what being lost is. It's not about where you're going, it's about where you are. So Paul talks about where his readers were, what their life of experience was in this life. That's what they're saved from. Are you seeing that? I'm not making this up. So if they're saved from a present reality, I'm not saying it's only present, but certainly from at least a present reality, what exactly is salvation? Well, verse 4 and 5, Paul tries to explain it. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Sounds like something's being put back together. First, I think if you look at this, uh, one thing that stands out to me is that salvation is described as deliverance. You're saved from something. Something's done for us. It's not something we do for ourselves. It's a, it refers to God as the Savior. It uses terms like, He saved us. So there's this deliverance that's happening. Something's happening for us. Second, there's something done to us. Terms like uh, washed with rebirth and renewal. It's this idea of new life being born in us. New life begins to move in us. It's alive. And it's wanting to knit things back together to reverse decay, renewal. 
So salvation, as best as I can understand it from this passage, is the deliverance of new life. Being delivered by new life entering us and giving us a different experience of life now. Not someday, not when you're dead, now. We're delivered by new life being planted in us. New life that is alive now. Not waiting to come to life. Alive now. It's alive. It's alive, right? Frankenstein. Whoever thought you'd have a reference to Frankenstein in Easter sermon? Maybe you don't even know that movie. Anyway. <laughs> let me, it's alive. It's happening now. You ever had a goldfish that died? Oh, sorry. I'll give you 50 cents. You can get another one. Oh, is it, am I digging the hole deeper? I'm such a callous person. You, you can tell whether the goldfish is alive or dead. If it's alive, it's very active. If it's dead, it's very not. Let me give you a very boring example of how this works, this alive thing. Who here loves compound interest? All right. Woo, all right. I know some of you are or were in banking, so... Uh, who knows what compound interest is? All right, see, you say, sheepishly, it's a good thing. People sheepishly raising their hands. So compound interest is when you put money in an account, savings, some other form, you get interest or return, and then you start to get interest or return on the interest or return that you've already gotten plus everything else you've already had in there. So your money grows, and it grows on the growth. That's what new life does. And actually, the Holy Spirit is referred in another part of Scripture as the deposit of new life that God puts in us. You want a more exciting example? Who here has heard of kudzu? Really? My dad used to love to talk to me about kudzu. We would go on uh, road trips, and he'd point outside the window, and he'd say, you see what that is, son? That's kudzu. That's not from around these parts. They were worried about um, erosion and the soil being blown and washed away. So they planted kudzu. It's not from these parts. And then they couldn't control it. And it grew and it grew and it overtook everything. It's alive. <laughs> and this is shaping our experience right now. The deliverance is now. The experience of new life is right now. There's no mention of salvation being after we die. Now, you might say, Brad, verse 7, I see this thing called eternal life. If that's not about after you die, what is? Well, here's the thing. Eternal life isn't necessarily primarily even about after you die. Did you know that? You know what eternal means? Did someone said forever? In part. But it's much more about quality than quantity. Eternal is a description of the quality of life that you experience. That's what eternal means. Now, it may stretch on forever and ever. But it's not everlasting life. That's something else. That's about time. It sort of starts when you die but keeps going. Eternal is about the quality of life you experience. And when the Bible talks about eternal life, it talks about that life starting now. So even in verse 7, when we're talking about the hope of eternal life, that's not something that we're not supposed to experience in the present. 
So if salvation is about experiencing deliverance into a new awesome experience of life now, how do we lean into it? Verse 8 says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Now, when I read this, two things sort of pop out to me. The first is this idea of trusting God, and the second is this idea of doing good works. So new life is about relationship. That's the trusting part. And transformation, that's the doing good works part. How do we lean into that? From the beginning to the end, trusting and living a new way, it's about following. It's about following Jesus, follow the leader. Trust and do the good works he has for us. It's an interactive life with Jesus, trusting him and looking to live like him in a different way, however he leads us. And the trust in the moment allows us to have a different experience of the things in the world that are still off. Even as they're still broken, we can have different perspectives, different ways of engaging with those things. But also the good deeds allow us to transform the world around us. So it's not just about being able to live through them in a different way, but it's about bringing change. Knitting back together relationships and systems that are off. And in this way, we experience deliverance again and again and in new ways every day. A theologian who helped me reading some of his articles, helped me think this through, is a gentleman named uh, Dallas Willard. And he said this, such deliverance is grace in every aspect. It's the gift of life in constant, interactive relationship with the living Lord, Savior, and Teacher. And this is eternal life, Jesus himself said, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Knowledge, Willard says, is interactive relationship. And this is what is offered to us as salvation and also our way to lean into this gift interactive relationship, being a follower, learning from, being challenged by. So let me ask you, where in your life have you experienced deliverance? Where have you seen new life in your current life, in the here and the now? And I just want to give you a moment just so that on Easter morning, when we talk about resurrection, and what that brought into the world, how have you experienced that? And I'm just going to be silent for a few minutes and let you ponder that. Where have you experienced deliverance? Let me first say, you have something to celebrate today. And let me second ask for a favor. Today, before you forget, can you just send me a note and tell me your story? And my email, 
is in your bulletin. You can write a note and put it in our mailbox, in the little box out here. Um, where have you experienced deliverance? Where have you experienced new life coming into yours and changing things? And I'm asking because, myself included, people need to hear that story. What's your story of salvation? In the here and the now. That's what I want us to spend the next several weeks talking about on Sunday. Stories of God delivering us in this present life. We need to hear this because we need encouragement. We need to be reminded that new life is alive. It's a gift, but it has to be leaned into or it can be subdued. It's found on the road with Jesus when we follow him with trust. And as Willard put it, when we decide that the most important thing in life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. That's where we encounter a new life again and again and again. But that kind of faith needs to be stoked by your story and the story of the person sitting next to you, that Jesus is alive and at work and that salvation is for today. And that what we celebrate this morning, that Jesus is alive, is not about primarily when we die. Eternal life is meant to begin today. And we're meant to experience it for all eternity. But we wait for some things, but we don't wait for all of it. <laughs> and we need to hear those stories. Salvation is for today, and his new life is alive in you. Let's pray. Father, we just have a real simple prayer this morning. We ask that um, in whatever way we need it, it would be real to us, that we could connect to a living, risen Jesus. And as we continue to pray and worship and eat together, we have so many tastes of your vitality and your reality, that we get little nibbles or big gulps of salvation this afternoon and this morning. And we ask for that. And we're willing to follow you so we can have more of that. In Jesus' name, amen.